performance time Come on and run some tests We're going to find a memory leak I've got no friends but virtual users Soap test never even is performance time Hello and welcome back to performance time If you haven't heard that before That is the retro intro to my YouTube channel Which I uh, do not actively create content for at the moment uh, uh, something I recorded myself based on the theme tune of a television show called Adventure Time. Now in late May, I posted something on LinkedIn, which was a diagram that looked kind of like an hourglass or an X. Uh, and I think I called it the pyramid model, which doesn't make a lot of sense because it doesn't look like a pyramid. It looks a little bit like a pyramid, but I think I'm going to call it the hourglass model or the X model to um, hark back to the V model days for those of you who did ISTQB. Now this is an audio only medium which makes it a little difficult to talk about a visual model. So let's imagine you have an hourglass and it is very wide at the top and very wide at the bottom and very thin in the middle. And so as the sand flows through, it has to flow through this very small gap right in the middle. Now imagine the sand that's flowing through this hourglass represents the stages of the software delivery lifecycle. So at the top, right at the top, we have things that we do right at the beginning of the process, such as architectural design, and then maybe moving into implementation and development, early testing, integration, end-to-end -end testing, which would be right in the middle. And the bottom half of the hourglass represents things that we do as we move into production, such as the deployment itself into production, uh, the monitoring and APM and synthetics and real user monitoring that we might do in production. So to recap, the top half of our hourglass represents the things that we do before we go to production in chronological order. And the bottom half of the hourglass represents the things that we do as we go into production and then in production. Now you'll notice that the bit in the middle, which is where we do our end-to-end -end performance testing, is very thin, very small. That's the whole point of the model. The idea is that we do as much as we can early on in the delivery lifecycle and as much as we can in production to mitigate performance risk so we can minimize how much end-to-end -end performance testing that we have to do. So why might we want to reduce the end-to-end -end performance testing we do? So to set the scene, right now, software systems are more complex than they have ever been before, and they are continually getting more complex, more components, big systems of systems of systems, combinations of cloud and on-premise parts of the solution third-party services that we integrate. When we work in the cloud, there are more layers of abstraction, things that we can't see about how things are working under the hood. Even containerization layers or microservices adds additional layers of abstraction, which makes the whole thing more complex to test and monitor and understand. So performance engineering has to change to manage this new level of complexity. In the olden days, 10 or 15 years ago, we might have predominantly done big bang, end-to-end, -end, fully integrated performance testing. 
We used to use predominantly this one approach to try and find all performance issues, to catch all performance risk, and usually quite far along in the delivery lifecycle, just before a major release. Now, as I discussed in episode 12, to stub or not to stub, end-to-end performance testing is extraordinarily complex and costly to do, not just to build, but to also maintain test assets built this way. The problem is the more complex the solution, the more costly and complex our end-to-end performance testing becomes. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen plenty of situations when we're attempted to do predominantly end-to-end performance testing, and we've been unable to run tests for days and days, sometimes even weeks, because we can't get a working end-to-end integrated environment. There are just so many components required to make it all work, And the data complexity, making sure that a customer in one system matches a record in another system and they have the right IDs matching up, that's really difficult. And the more components we have, the more difficult this becomes. And as time goes on and our systems get more and more complex, this is going to be increasingly difficult to do. So the Hourglass model proposes that we do more early on, shift left, more in production, shift right, so we can minimize the scope of end-to-end performance testing as much as possible. Now, I think there will always be a need in some situations for end-to-end performance testing. It tells us about customer experience with a release or a system which isn't live yet in production. It also shakes out performance issues relating to the ways which components integrate with each other in ways that we couldn't have expected. So it's not about not doing end-to-end performance testing. It's about reducing how much we do to a manageable amount. So let's say that this hourglass model that I've been rambling on about becomes an industry standard and everyone thinks, yes, that's what we're going to do. This is the way that we do things now. So what are the implications? The first thing is more people need to be involved in the performance engineering journey. It can't just be specialist performance engineers working in a siloed team as we had in the past. For example, architects building in a performance lens to their work and the way that they design solutions or review solutions. Developers being involved in running single user traces or maybe leveraging APM tools to understand the behavior of a single user or a single transaction in a system. Developers and testers building simple API-level or component-level performance tests to look at a particular component or operation. Operations engineers utilizing different deployment approaches, such as canarying or blue-green deployments, to reduce the potential impact of performance issues. Engineers in either the delivery or operations world setting up logging, tracing, APM, synthetics, real user monitoring to better understand performance in the real world and what the customer experiences. And when we get our observability really mature, then the stakeholders from across an organization can easily see, first of all, what the performance and the customer experiences and how that impacts our business. So we can make more informed decisions, better decisions when we go to market. So there's more people involved in performance engineering now, maybe without even knowing they're part of this new 
paradigm. But the second thing is, as you've already heard, there are a lot more activities that we can do to manage performance risk beyond the end-to-end performance testing that we did so much of in the past. A third implication is that because there are so many people involved and so many different activities happening, there's a new level of collaboration and communication which is required across your organization. Now this can be a challenge that you maybe didn't anticipate, but that's just part of the performance engineer's role and how it's changing. It's becoming less about what we do and more about what we enable other people to do. Now the last implication I wanted to talk about is that with so many people involved and so many different activities and so much more communication happening around performance, performance can become a bit of a buzz topic around your organization. It can gain a higher profile with executives and business stakeholders and program and project stakeholders. For the most part, this is fantastic. We're finally getting a feedback loop back into our delivery based on how things are performing, either in production or in test. But with such an intense spotlight on performance and what's happening, you might find that there are new layers of politics that you need to negotiate, which you didn't need to before. And you might need to be a lot more careful about what you say and how you report it, and really make sure that you're speaking the right language to the right stakeholders. Everything I've talked about today with this hourglass model depends on cultural change in your organization. If people are not interested in doing their bit for performance, and no one's making them do it, then it's not going to happen. Performance engineers need to become influencers. No, no, not those people in social media who get paid millions of dollars to look pretty and promote products. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that as performance engineers, we need to influence other people in our organization to be interested in performance, to understand why it's valuable to our organization. So communication is just so important. Know how to speak to each stakeholder in a way that they understand and can relate to and have a connection with. If you haven't already checked out episodes 7 and 8, They focus completely on communication and how important it is for the performance engineer. So definitely check those out. That's all from this episode of Performance Time. Thank you once again for tuning in. And as always, this is Performance Time.